Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we've got a problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. After months and months of recording this free podcast novel, producer Sean had what we call a moment of clarity. Maybe it was because I ran out of money to keep his THC, alcohol, and Fritos morphine drip going. Maybe it was just getting to the end of this project and wondering what was next. Who knows? We're about to find out. The point is, the second book is about to start, and I need the money to get Sean properly medicated and productive. So right now, you can support this podcast by going to kickstarter.com, looking up Ruins of Empire, and reserving your print copy of Ruins of Empire number 2, Templum Venerous, right now. You can get signed hardback or paperback copies of Saturnius Mons and Templum Venerous, or just throw a dollar in to get your name in the acknowledgement section of Templum Venerous. It's a chance to show your support for this little project and a chance for me to get producer Sean drugged up and happily editing this podcast. Trust me, it's better for everyone. Probably. You are listening to Ruins of Empire. Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. After finding the long-lost city on Titan, the members of the Human Reconnection Project were captured by the city's soldiers and taken inside. They were brought before the Houston, the city's ruler and the man that broadcast a warning for them to leave the moon when they were inside the spaceport. They tried to explain who they were and what their mission was, but the Houston dismissed them as imposters and had them locked in a jail beneath the palace. In jail, Althea found Vego's stash of Triple T and gave him one so he would come out of the stupor he had been in since the withdrawals reached their climax. After a long discussion, Althea agreed to help him administer small doses of the illegal drug to keep him functional enough to get him and the team back to Earth safely. Chapter 11 There is no religion that punishes unbelievers quite like economics. From the Fall the Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath. Vega woke to a screeching metal hinge and a blast of white light. There were no windows, lights, or candles in this dank pit, so the sudden brightness was like the arrival of a god. Out of reflex, he pulled his hat down over his eyes and pressed himself into the corner of the cell. A silhouette appeared in the open door that some tattered scrap of Vago's mind identified as the leader of this city. Either that, or some other idiot got his head stuck in a giant spiky beehive. The man descended the stairs with a slow deliberateness, as if trying to make a point with each step. Two soldiers followed in his wake. The light woke Althea, Isra, and Kronos as well. One by one, They blinked at the brightness and stood. The Houston stopped a few feet from the cell door. Vago got to his feet and approached. When he got close, he could see the details in the Houston's eyes. His thin, wrinkled face bore a wild-eyed look of a man who had seen a lot in the past few hours, 
and very little of it had been pleasant. His mouth pulled into a defiant sneer of a man being forced into a last resort that was only slightly better than death. Ah, take it something bad has happened, said Vago flatly. Easter came to the same conclusion. She approached, placed her hands on the bars, and read the old man's face. There is something wrong with the city. No, larger than that. The existence of every person on this moon is in danger, and you need our help. The old man touched the bars, just a few inches from Easter's face. Titan is dying. He turned and shouted orders in another language to the soldiers behind him. They scrambled to unlock the door while the Houston turned back to Isra. You must come with me and talk to the Companio. Ask them what we have done wrong. Isra cocked her head. So you believe we are Companio now? That we are from Earth? The cell door swung open and the Houston backed away from the bars. I do not know what you are. If you are Companio, you will speak to Earth and save my people. If not, then Ganta will add your ashes to the dead. Please, come with me. The Houston led them back up the stairs and into the palace. As soon as they were back in the lavishly decorated halls, they were flanked by two sets of guards in the long brown military uniforms. It all had the feel of security detail, although Vago had to wonder what they were protecting and from whom. They walked out the front doors of the palace, and the Houston stopped at the top of the stairs. A crowd was gathered on the street outside, and filled a street wide enough for two vehicles on earth to pass each other. And yet they stood in eerie silence. Somewhere above them a bird, with a wingspan that would embarrass an albatross, flapped its wings, and flew off the top of the ruined tower and soared over the city. The beat of the wings in the air was louder than anything on the street. The people of the city dressed in dull browns and greys, looked at them with expressions that contained varying mixtures of curiosity, confusion, horror, and awe. A soft murmur went through as the Houston led the team down the stairs. Vago got an uneasy feeling, like he was looking to the eyes of a people drained of life. Robots would have at least beeped in a meaningful way. The Houston made a slight gesture as he walked, just a flick of the wrist and a flourish of the fingers, and several soldiers marched down the stairs ahead of them to clear a path. The crowd spread, revealing a cracked asphalt road that seemed just barely able to contain the plant life struggling to grow out of it. At the bottom of the stairs, the Houston turned and led the human reconnection project down the road, while the soldiers hurried into a box formation around them. Althea stayed close to Vago and eyed the people as they passed. They're just looking at us. No talking, shouting, just... Staring. Vago sniffed. Say, Houston, sir, looks like you got a big turnout here. What's the occasion? The Houston didn't look back, or even adjust his brisk pace. They have been here since you arrived. They are curious about our new visitors. Ah, Vago nodded. You'd think they could have mustered more enthusiasm. As they walked, the crowd moved with them as if being pulled by a strong source of gravity. The more they walked, the more the crowd started chattering in their own language. Just whispers between each other at first, but gradually louder and more constant. A few started shouting things at the group. One young man pointed at Vago and shouted something. What did that boy say? 
asked Vega, walking close to the Houston. He asked why you wear your hair like a girl, said the Houston, smiling slightly. Vega made a rude gesture in the boy's direction. As they continued to walk, Vega became interested in the number and condition of the screens that lined the streets. Unlike many parts of the city that were on the brink of collapse from disrepair, the monitors, for the most part, looked clean and functioning. A few displayed large cracks across their faces, but most looked like they could flicker to life at any moment. Isra must have been thinking the same thing. She cut up to the Houston and said, I must say, I am impressed by the level of preservation in this city. Your public communications platform, she pointed to a couple of larger screens mounted onto the side of a building, looks remarkably intact. The Houston bowed his head slightly. By order of the Compagnio, it was the method they used to speak to the people of the city. We have maintained them through their long silence. Isra glanced up at the dark screens. And does the Compagnio still speak to the people? The Compagnio speaks to me. I speak to the people. Funny, said Vago. If Compagnio and you are such great friends, you'd think they'd have mentioned us. I think what my friend means, said Isra, shooting Vago a lightning-fast glare. If Compagnio speaks to you, why do you need our help? The Houston walked in silence for several steps before answering. It is the will of the Compagnio that I speak of, the instructions that we all must live by. Ah, so one of them metaphorical things, said Vago, glancing upwards. Through the gray decay of crumbling buildings, a gleaming pyramid ahead stood out in stark contrast, like a small jewel in a gravel pit. It wasn't as tall as most of the buildings around it. Vago estimated it was around a hundred meters high, but it added a touch of dazzling brilliance to a city that was otherwise fading to black. After a kilometer or so, they emerged from the narrow streets into a grand courtyard. The pyramid, surrounded by grass, trees, and small stone monuments, took on an even more august atmosphere. The sides, probably made of some long-forgotten polymer, looked like polished bronze and reflected the sun's light in such a way that gave the courtyard and surrounding buildings a golden hue. They approached an entrance set into the base of the pyramid where two guards stood at attention. They didn't so much as blink as the Houston walked past them and keyed in some numbers on a steel keypad. Two steel doors thick enough to withstand a nuclear blast slid open. Vago started to realize that whoever designed this place did so intending the structure to remain long after the last human died away. Inside, they walked down a narrow, dark hallway for a few meters and emerged in an immense open space. The walls all emitted a gentle white glow, and there was a shiny steel catwalk polished to a mirror finish that led to a horseshoe-shaped control area. The catwalk hung above rows and rows of whirring black boxes, with a few figures in full-body white robes drifting among them. They stopped to attend to some part of the vast machine, but otherwise moved like ghosts in white bedsheets in a strange black electronic maze. Isra peered over the side of the men working in the servers below. They are like acolytes to the cult of the machine. Do you think they understand the tasks they perform? I don't even understand what I'm looking at. Nothing but lights and buttons and far too many wires for my liking. They couldn't have built this out here, not before the fall, so why is it still here? said Vago. Kronos, however, seemed to know exactly what they were looking at. He shoved his way to the front of the group 
It's, it's a Marquee 8700 supercomputer. I've read about these. Vago folded his arms. A Marquee what? Kronos practically snarled at Vago as if he'd just blasphemed in this holy place. It was the last great transistor-powered supercomputer, before quantum computing became the norm, before the fall all but destroyed it all. Even when it was built, it was considered a dinosaur. But it worked. Quantum computing at the time was unpredictable and prone to failures. But this, this was all solid-state memory, half-life capacitors and graphene conductors. The right crew with the right training could keep a marquee going for, well, a millennium. Vega watched as Kronos walked up the catwalk, running his hand along the railing, as if he were caressing the entire apparatus. The most blessed relic, or patch of ground tread on by the most holy person, never received such reverence. He sat down at a chair in the middle of the horseshoe-shaped control area, like a god returning to his throne. Physical keyboards! Kronos exclaimed, laughing maniacally. They still use physical keyboards! Amazing! I haven't seen one since the excavation of old Seattle. It was half-buried inside the caved-in skull of some office worker. Before the wars. To be fair, it was a kind of crazed god that fertilized the earth with his father's genitals and threw thunderbolts around like rice at a wedding. Vago glanced at the Houston, who had an impatient air about him. Vago called out across the room. That's great, Kronos. I'm happy for you. I really am. Listen, we still look to be on parole, and they might be itching to throw us back in that hole if you don't find something. Kronos reached out and slowly pressed a single key, as if he were afraid the slightest touch might cause the whole thing to fall apart. When it didn't, his other hand touched another. As if remembering a skill long since forgotten, Kronos started typing. It was slow at first, but by the time Vago, Easter, and Althea, and the Houston crossed the catwalk and stood behind him, he was typing at a furious pace. Images and numbers flashed across the five screens in front of him at a pace that could bring on epilepsy. Vago wondered how Kronos' fingers didn't get tangled at the pace they were moving. Then, Kronos stopped. Isra leaned forward and squinted at the screens. What did you find? Kronos sat back. Nothing. Nothing, said Vago. Nothing, repeated Isra with a touch more force. I tried several different paths into the data servers, but I'm afraid the majority of the system is locked out and encrypted. All I've found is that the system is experiencing something called a general shutdown protocol. Isra sneered. Nothing more? Kronos went back to work on the keyboard. Well, there is something else. I can use a back door into one of the security systems. It's somehow connected to the shutdown protocol. I thought it was just a hardware artifact, but let's take a look. The screens changed so that each one showed a complicated black and white diagram. To Vago's eye, it looked like an impossibly intricate tangle of geometric shapes. A lot of those shapes, to Vago's dismay, were flashing red. In his, albeit limited, engineering experience, this was not a good sign. What the hell are we looking at? System overview, said Kronos, still typing. There is some kind of complex to the east of the city, near the banks of the Lagia Mar. The computer is reporting the shutdown or failure of multiple systems, and more are failing as we speak. The system wants us to fix this first. It has locked down every other application. No data until we fix this. It must be extremely important. Both Isra and Vago turned to face the Houston. A good deal of blood seemed to have drained from his face. Isra pointed to the diagram on the screens. 
Do you know what this is? The Houston tried to compose himself, although beads of sweat were still forming on his brow. The extractors and refineries left to us by the Companio. Last time they spoke to the people, we were ordered to keep them running, no matter what the cost. We have workers there, Perfindulo, people we rescued from the forest. They must have deserted us. Vago examined the Houston for a moment. Something about the way he talked about the forest people made him suspicious. What do you mean, rescued? The Houston straightened up. Perfendulo. They live savage lives. They kill without thinking. They have lived without the light of the Companio for too long. We do what we can to help, but it is difficult. They fight us at every opportunity. Vago's mind went back to the spaceport and the piles of bodies burning. Was that their massacre, or some kind of human sacrifice? Was the Houston genuine, or just covering up the sins of his people? Kronos interrupted his train of thought. Three more sections just shut down. I don't think this is neglect. It's all happening too fast, and the systems are not shutting down in random order. This is not entropy. This is deliberate. Someone is doing this. The Houston went even whiter. He opened his mouth a few times, as if to speak, and then turned and started walking back down the catwalk. Malabono porafinduloi, mi montagilos ilinkiljin. I must assemble the warriors. Vega watched the screens for a moment. With all the activity, he'd all but forgotten they weren't alone on this planet. Laban was still at the base camp, probably fuming about being kept from the city. And then there was Carr. Vega didn't know when or if he stopped following them. If something strange was happening, it was a sure bet they were both in the center of it all. He turned to catch up with the Houston. Sir, uh, Houston, a moment. The Houston stopped and turned. Yes? We ain't the only people from Earth running around this rock. I wonder, did you see bright lights or fire in the sky several hours ago, before the sun rose? The Houston paused. Yes. I'm afraid a great many saw it. It was unsettling for my people. Well, that ain't the half of it. Those were shuttles, a couple of them, packed to the top with people from Earth. They're here to do some harm to you and your world. We're here to stop that from happening. The Houston shook his head. The Companio protects us. Nothing bad can come from Earth. Vigo threw his hands up. Well, then, they came from elsewhere. Point is that they're here now, and they mean to do you harm. What would you have me do? Vago glanced back at Isra, not for his benefit, but for hers. Isra always had a strange way of knowing things. Just by looking at his face, she would know what he was planning. She examined him for a moment, closed her eyes, and gave him a slight nod. Vago turned back. Let me go with them. Your warriors, I mean. Give me my guns back and the things you took when you locked us away. Also get some of your men to go with me. I'll get to the bottom of this. The Houston looked back at the screens. He had a faraway stare that suggested that he would never consider a request like this in a million years. Of course, he'd never considered a threat like this in that time frame. He looked back at Vago. Very well. Come with me. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.